0: Carter Hart lost a game with the Philadelphia Flyers and then he lost his mind. What happened,
1: Andy? Well he gave up six goals to the Boston Bruins mm-hmm. in a six-one loss. Okay. And the game ended, he took it out on this, the the poor goalie stick. Yeah. It didn't do anything to him. He smashed it up. He actually, ironically, did a pretty good two impression who was, mm-hmm. you know, in the building. So Carter Hart, a little frustrated. He said afterward that he apologized. It was unprofessional, that he just got it just boiled over and he just lost his composure and you know, everybody has those moments.
2: Hey, Darren, do you have you ever broken a goalie stick in <laughs> disgust of your performance in a game?
1: I don't think so.
0: I don't think I have. I have, um, well, maybe. I don't know. Because my, my usual reaction if I was really mad is I would slam it on the post. But mm. I don't know if I... You know, like I might have damaged a stick a number of times, but I don't recall ever breaking one. I don't know. It's very possible that I have.
2: You know, there's a goalie that comes out to three on three regularly Mm -hmm. who you know. Yes. Used to break sticks regularly out in three
0: yeah. on three. I considered breaking my stick a number of times at three on three. Like I very seriously considered breaking my stick. And then I'm like, wait a minute. If I break this stick, then I have to buy a new stick and I don't actually want to spend money on a new stick when this is a perfectly good stick. And I'm just going to break this because I'm getting scored on so many times. That is not worth it.
2: It's a did tough you... spot to like
1: expect to sh- shut out. Well, yeah. Did you hear Brian Burke's comments on on Carter Hart breaking a stick on Hawking Night in Canada? I did not, but I bet they were level headed. Yeah, okay. Of course. What well, he said when he was general manager and a guy would do that, he would think, hey, those sticks cost $300, you idiot.
3: <laughs> well, back
0: then they didn't. I think the $300
1: stick is a little
0: bit more of like a, a recent development. Well, does I'm sure Hart doesn't pay for his sticks, does he? I would highly doubt that. No, I think yeah. he gets paid a lot of money to use whatever type of stick he's using. <laughs> Sound of Hockey episode 122, we're calling this one the Jack Eichel episode. Why are we calling it that, John? Jack Eichel,
2: uh, elite forward in the NHL for the Buffalo Sabres, has 122 power play points in his career. Now, this... This might not age well, right. because he's got another game probably by the time it comes out. So hopefully he doesn't score on a power play or okay. doesn't doesn't have a point on power so play. So it's like
1: 122
0: or 123-ish.
2: Yeah, yeah. We might be calling next week one tw- the Jack Eichel episode as
0: well. <laughs> Very possible. I hope that happens. <laughs> but also, I would guess he's going to score more than one point in the next week, if I had to guess. Maybe not, but power if I had to guess. Power play. He's the power oh, play, though. That's true. Very specific. Uh, so this is Sound of Hockey. I am Darren Brown at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter. Joined as always by Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's it going? I'm at Andy Ide on the Twitter. And John Barr. Hello, John.
2: Hello, everybody. I'm NHL2 Seattle on the Twitter.
0: And we are coming to you from Seattle. That's John and Andy. And Minnesota. That's me. For one more episode. This is the last one. I'm I'm moving last back.
2: And end of an era. Uh-huh.
0: End of an era. It's been three months we ended up staying here, Oof. which that's a long time. Wow. That's a long time to be with parents you know, and in laws and <laughs> uh but it's gone really well. I have to say credit to the in-laws and parents. It's gone really, really well. We've we've actually genuinely enjoyed our visit.
1: Years from now, when they write about this podcast, they'll mm-hmm. refer to the last three months as the Minnesota era. Oh, yeah. yes.
0: I think that's probably true. Who is who's they? <laughs>
1: you know, they, the people who write this the historians, stuff. Yeah. Ah, yes. historians,
0: yes, the hockey the podcast, podcast historians. of course, the <laughs> hockey podcast historians, of which yes. there are certainly very many. <laughs> you never know. We do have some reviews to share with you. Our first review, a five-star review comes from Dylan, AKA Sergeant Pickles. Now Sergeant Pickles, uh, he follows me on Twitter and he, uh, is fun to interact with. So, uh, excited to hear from Sergeant Pickles. Also Sergeant Pickles is legitimately, uh, at least according to his Twitter bio, he is a sergeant in the u.s marine corps or he used to be oh, so sergeant cool. pickles thanks so much for uh serving and keeping us safe uh, uh so sergeant pickles says what's with the pickles i want to know that's a good question Well, I'm maybe maybe he'll let us know now uh yeah. he says top-notch shenanigans new fan to hockey here ever since nhl announced they were coming to seattle you guys do an amazing job of explaining the game but still keeping things fun and interesting goalie gear corner is the best segment but they are all outstanding what thanks guys. Dylan from Bonnie Lake parentheses. Now, see, now
1: I don't know what, now I don't want to know what the pickles are. Now you ruined his
0: punchline here. He says, thanks oh. guys. Dylan from Bonnie Lake parentheses, not Gambrel. Which I thought was a perfect <laughs> yeah, way to close great. that out. He's been listening for a while. Uh-huh. We yeah. read the review from blaze G last week. Uh, and I called him creepy for mentioning that he had a, a parody account of me. He has now removed the parody account, both from Twitter and from his review. And he sent us a note saying, Hey, didn't mean to creep you out. So, blaze g just so you know like yes i was a little creeped out but more so i was just doing a bit last week like i wasn't really that creeped out so um but thank you for updating it and taking down your uh your fake darren brown twitter account i do appreciate that <laughs> and then our latest review comes from phenomics all now i'm pretty sure phenomics all has written a review before And if you listened closely to our review section last week, I made a kind of a snide comment when I said we only review five star reviews and that's all I'm saying. That comment was pointed directly at Phenomics All because Phenomics All had written a four star review and said in that review that he or she was only giving us four stars because he or she demands two episodes a week. We just we appreciate that you enjoy the show so much, but let me tell you, a less than five-star review is not the way to get our attention. We will not be bullied, okay? (laughs) But credit to Phenomics All because he or she took down the four-star review and replaced it with a great five-star review, and it's pretty outstanding. It says five stars, but technically 14 because I've now rated it three times. It says third... (laughs) and now your leading podcast reviewer back up to a five star review because i realized being greedy gets you benched see pierre luc dubois ice time for 120 of 2021 in all seriousness this is still the definitive best hockey podcast and that's why i have given it a total of 14 out of 5 stars Whoa. (laughs) Looking to continue to pad the stats as the show goes along. Thanks, boys, for all the hard work and cheers to less than a year until Kraken hockey. Thank you, Phenomics All. Thank you, Blaze G, for removing the creepy Twitter account. Thank you to Sergeant Pickles for serving and for the wonderful review. Really appreciate all of you. And if you haven't written your five-star review yet on iTunes, please do and we'll read it for you on the next show. And yes, make it a five-star review. This is a big episode. We have none other than... Drumroll... Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Jason Botterill on the episode. So former nice. associate general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, former general manager of the Buffalo Sabres, and latest hire of the Seattle Kraken as assistant general manager. So very, very cool interview with him. I think you're going to love it. Stick around. He is a big, big time guest. And he's actually a recurring guest, which we'll explain to you in the
1: interview. <laughs> it was news to him. Yes.
0: Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, so as Phenomics all said in his or her five-star review, the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation became untenable in in Columbus and he really did I mean we had mentioned on here before oh. that he had requested a trade out of Columbus no one really knew why although people were guessing that it had some something to do with our friend Torts never really been confirmed Torts has been interesting in this whole thing because as he was getting <laughs> asked questions after benching him for almost the entire game he's like hey don't look at me. I don't make decisions about ice time. The players decide how much they play. They show me how much they want to play. And then they make the decisions. Yeah. So he looked like a real dick, if I'm if I'm being honest. I thought he <laughs> looked like a real dick. But then they came out with this ISO cam. And I think it was like, uh, what is it? The Battery? Or what's the name of the blog from Columbus? That was... First
2: and Battery? I don't know.
0: Anyway, it was a Columbus blog that had a tweet <laughs> with a... It was just a screen grab of like an ISO cam footage from the game that got him benched. And it's a real bad shift. Like he is just yes. like coasting up and down the ice loading. He gets into a little tiny battle with like two lightning players. Doesn't even try, like does like clearly yeah. not even trying Coasts back to the bench. And like, it takes him an hour to get back to the bench. If I were the coach and I watched that shift and you know, that Tortorella is very carefully watching him play in this game. Yeah. I'd probably see him too. So I think <laughs> Dubois kind of did like not only ask for a trade, but then he forced his way out by, you know, just, Playing like garbage.
1: Yeah. Torch was right. The player did show him that he needed to be benched. Yes.
0: So, anyway, let's talk about this trade, though. I mean, it was a good return considering how much of a forced situation this was by Jarmo Kekalainen. He got something pretty legitimate. What did he get back?
2: Patrick Laine from the Winnipeg Jets. Heard as, of him? as well as Jack Rosovic, who yes. was uh unsigned restricted free agent yes. at the time.
0: And so, the funny thing is that both of those guys wanted out of Winnipeg. Yep. And so, they... <laughs> Which you have to wonder, and I saw some people joking about this, and nothing against Winnipeg or Columbus, but as far as markets that players are really drawn to, I don't think and maybe this is just me con- you know, conjecturing conject conjecting? What's the what's the gerund form of conjecture? Conjecture. It well, could be conjecture. Conjecturing. Con conjecting. <laughs> I think you just said conjecture. It could so, be conjecture. So they are conjecturing that <laughs> Neither of those particular particular markets is like you know all that interesting. So so if you finally get your wish and you get out of Winnipeg, congratulations! Now you're going to Columbus. Now for Roslovic, he actually is from that area. He's from Ohio, so uh, it He's makes from sense. Columbus, cool specifically. So it makes yeah, sense for him yep. to be there. It makes sense for him to to stay. Uh, I don't know if I see Line staying there long term. And
1: Dubois' father works for the Manitoba Moose, who play in the same arena that the Winnipeg Jets do.
0: Ah, that's interesting. I did not know that mm-hmm. wrinkle. Thank you.
1: So you had some disgruntled players who are now hopefully going to be gruntled yeah. in their new homes.
0: Just like moose are often gruntled, right? Yeah, Moose are known for being <laughs> yes, gruntled. They are.
1: docile animals.
2: And one thing to
0: keep an eye on, like so both both
2: players have to adhere to COVID protocols. That yeah. means they're they're not gonna be able to play right away. Mm-hmm. Particularly uh Dubois heading to Canada, the, the timeline is a little longer. But Line a should be playing, I think, within a week of the trade. So by Sat he might be eligible to play Saturday. Mm-hmm. One thing to look for is is Line is gonna probably play with Max Domi, mm-hmm. uh, who's who's an really good playmaker, and line A is an elite goal scorer, right? True. And so pairing those up, whew, who knows, right? That could be a, a pretty good combination. And then uh, obviously Rosovic, he has si- since signed a extension or a, a new agreement with Columbus, and so they'll probably be getting him into the lineup. Now Rossovic's interesting because he was always a bubble guy in Winnipeg as far as being protected, and he's a first-round draft pick. But that is... Relatively underachieved. Now, when he goes to Columbus, he's probably still in that bubble spot, but Mm -hmm. more likely he will get protected in Columbus. Mm -hmm.
0: So GM Yarmo Kekalainen told TSN, I wish that Pierre-Luc would tell the truth about why he wanted out. He hasn't even told me. He hasn't told his teammates or anybody else. What? Nice. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, it was a weird situation. Fascinating how it ended. I think in the end, it's probably going to end up being a pretty good trade for both teams, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all kind of depends on whether or not Dubois or Line a extend their contracts. So,
1: we shall yes. see. And I believe Line a is an RFA. Is that correct? After the season?
2: Yes, but RFAs are pretty much going to resign. And yes. w- I think he's already signaled and they always signal like they're gonna they're gonna stay or they're open to staying longer or whatever but
1: the reason i bring that up is because there was also conjecture darren Mm -hmm. that line a was gonna yes that (laughs) line a was gonna hate playing for Torson was gonna get out of there the first chance he got and i he's an rfa so that's not you can't just walk 'Cause somebody would have to offer sheet him. Hmm. So I'm not sure that that's really what's gonna happen. And and I think it's way too soon to say whether or not he's gonna hate work playing for torts. I mean, we don't know if that really was what the situation was with Dubois even. So um it's interesting to see, you know, Line a obviously is a talent. He's he can be aloof, I think, at times. Uh we all remember how we were introduced to him with that creepy, weird. Uh, interview before the draft it was two in the
2: morning in finland
1: (laughs) it was really really weird what do you expect (laughs) interview me at two in the morning you're lucky i'm awake so it will be interesting to see how that how that combination works i'm not convinced with all the conjecture people who's going to jump right to the fact that he'll hate it there he may like it okay
2: i would put money on he he definitely signs an extension wow interesting yeah i'm kind of in that camp too
0: the other big piece of nhl news this week is that nbcsn apparently is going away after this calendar year now that's obviously a huge impact to the NHL because NHL games are often on NBCSN. Uh, but what do we know about this, John?
2: So obviously NBCSN has started communicating to their their partners um, about them shuttering at the end of the year. Now keep in mind the NHL is on the last year of their their TV deal mm-hmm. with NBCSN. Mm-hmm. Many people and on this very podcast we've asked people from ESPN to comment on it, not comment mm-hmm. on it, but give me their their feelings will we see NHL back on ESPN? And from everything I've read online over the years, that is definitely a possibility. And what they'd probably be doing is going with multiple partners. Mm. So you can imagine a, a spot where um, the NHL has contracts with, could be NBC and ESPN, and then it just varies by night. Similar to how yeah. the football Baseball, baseball, basketball, yep. all of them work that way. Now, NBC doesn't have a lot—NBCSN doesn't have a lot of content. They have one NFL game a week. Right. They have a Notre Dame football for home games— mm-hmm. And it's just not a lot of content for a a full sports portfolio or, or a a channel dedicated to sports. They've never done like shoulder content with, with hockey as much as like ESPN had done with the NHL tonight. Now that, Mm -hmm. that shows are kind of not popular anymore because you know, everybody can watch their highlights online. But I think it was just inevitable, especially if NBC were were to lose, let's say, half the hockey games, right? Because then, then they need to fill that content. And I don't know how many times you've kind of tuned in for an NBC game a little early and you see like a car show being. Yeah. being.
1: So, like. A lot of, they, a lot of they... car auctions. Yep. Or a lot of auctions. Bass fishing. I saw bass yeah. fishing once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now,
2: one thing to keep in mind is also who knows if um, Fox Sports Network kind of jumps in, takes mm-hmm. an opportunity to jump in. And get hockey on their on their channel as well. Yeah. So I would not be concerned about this if you're an NHL fan. I think as much as people give uh ESPN a lot of grief for not being like very focused on hockey and not covering hockey, we had Linda Cone on the pod and she talked about we're not gonna promote somebody else's product.
1: Yeah, it's yep. pretty simple. And so
2: You can imagine if NHL goes back to ESPN in some capacity, you're going to start hearing more and more about it. So I think it's inevitable. I really do have uh, appreciated NBC's participation in hockey because it goes back many, many years where ESPN didn't want to pay anything to the hockey, but NBC Mm. did. That's a lot of business speak but it should be fine but it is an interesting scenario that that's gonna kind of shake how we get our hockey content Mm -hmm. um in the years from now
1: as long as fox doesn't bring back the glowing puck i'm totally cool with them Mm. carrying games so now if the nhl ends up having
0: multiple partners instead of one does that mean that the nhl is essentially a sailor going from port to port (laughs) Anyway, oh uh, we now move on to our long storied segment, which wow. has quickly risen through the ranks of our great segments. It is, ladies and gentlemen, Sound of Hockey's three stars. <laughs>
3: wait, on the
1: notes here it says, Wait, hold on. On the notes here it says top stars. What is it? Is it three or top?
0: It's it's Sound of Hockey's three stars. So... Okay. Because top implies that we're giving somebody this this award based entirely on their play, and we mentioned last week that that's not always going to be the case. It's just these are these there
2: are. There were two stars. of
1: us. It would still be top stars, or okay. would it be three, two stars? I'm confused. Whatever. So, John, your <laughs> star of the week.
2: My star of the week is Joe Pavelski. Okay. Uh, Dallas finally started playing games. (laughs) And Pavelski had seven points in the star's first two games of the season. And uh, two game-winning goals. Mm -hmm. And then tied a franchise record for points in the season opener with four points, two goals, two assists. And he's 36 years old in 197 days, which is the oldest player in NHL history to collect three or more points in each of his team's first two games of the season.
1: Mm.
2: How about that? That's pretty good.
1: Not bad. That's not pretty bad. good. Uh, Andy, your star of the week. Mine is another old guy, Vegas goalie Mark Andre Flurry. Mm-hmm. Heard of him? Yeah, heard of him. If you remember the whole rigmarole last year in the playoffs about Ooh. who's going to be the goalie there, well, they've been switching off with yeah, good word. <laughs> that's an official word. They they've been switching off with Robin Lehner and Flurry had a shutout his last game out uh, over the weekend against Arizona, one nothing shutout. And it's not so much for that because he only made nineteen saves, but. So far this season, he's he's three and zero. He has a 1.0 goals against and a nine fifty one save percentage, which is pretty impressive considering he's doing all that with a sword in his back, firmly planted right in his back <laughs> by Pete the mm. So that's right. He's my top star of the week. Yeah. All right. Very good. That's a good one. And then my
0: star of the week is the very well known Vitek Vanacek, who, as I we all, uh huh, as we all conjectured. <laughs> Before the season has, of course, taken over the goal crease in Washington, just as we all expect. Now, when I say take taken over, that's a little bit of a stretch, maybe because he's played four games so far versus I think Ilya Samsonov has played like three, something like that. But yep, who's an unsung rookie that I personally had never heard of before this season, has suddenly gotten the lion's share of the games so far because he's played well. So He's 2-0-2 in, I guess he's played four games. He's had like one or two no decisions. So Samsonov must have gotten yanked uh, from at least one of those games. And he made 45 saves in an overtime loss to Buffalo the other day. Now, that's not really the reason that he's my star, though. The reason that he's my star is because on top of his excellent play in that game where he made 45 saves and overtime loss to Buffalo, one of those shots, which he didn't really make a save on, but he had a shot that was a Taylor Hall penalty shot. Taylor Hall just rang it off the post, an absolute rocket. And Vanacek reacted by tapping the post twice with his stick, (laughs) twice with his catch glove, and then he leaned down and kissed the post through his mask. So... I really appreciated that extra effort to make sure that you're letting your post know he appreciated it. Yeah. Because the posts just don't get enough love sometimes, you know. So Vitek like Vanacek, him. you are my star of the week.
2: And he should be exposed in the expansion draft. Ooh. Just saying. Or Samsonov. Yeah, that's, interesting. Yeah. Either
0: way. What if Vanacek really does run away with the crease this year, right? Like, what if he proves that he deserves to be the starting goalie all season long, right? Then Samsonov is is exposed. So that's fine.
1: Either situation. way. Yep. Either
2: way is fine
0: I by thought,
1: me. I yeah. thought T.J. Yoshi was the player that that everyone agrees is going to come out of Washington.
0: Well, maybe they'll just trade him (laughs) to the Kraken for no real reason, and then we still take Ilya Samson.
2: All right. I have a little bone to pick, though, here. Okay. How does Andy, or alleged, alleged WHL correspondent, not bring up Ty Smith's name in this segment?
1: Well, he doesn't play the WHL right now.
2: But he is a former WHLer, and I thought everything comes back to the dub.
0: That was my understanding, Andy.
2: <laughs> Andy, he dropped the ball here, and I'm just going to call Ty Smith out as an honorable mention this mm. week.
0: Ooh, honorable He's- mention, though. I, now I have a bone to pick with you. We have been doing this segment for <laughs> so long. How yeah. do we just change it like this and just suddenly throw in an honorable mention? I don't know if I can
1: accept that. The integrity well, of this is now a let's, mm-hmm.
2: let's let the listeners decide if honorable mentions are okay. But okay. for this week, this is played under protest. We might have to pull it later.
0: Okay. All right. I'll allow <laughs> okay? it. Yeah, I'll allow it.
2: So Ty Smith has a point streak in his first five games.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: he had his first multi-point game and became the sixth blue liner in league history to begin his career with a point streak of at least five games. Wow. How about that?
0: That's awesome. awesome. That is awesome. I will say I saw him play maybe four times last year with Spokane, and I was absolutely blown away. Like, he was a man amongst boys out there. So it is cool to see it translating and having him just immediately have an impact with the Devils. Very. And now he's a
1: boy amongst men. Isn't that weird how that works? (laughs) Yeah, it does happen quickly.
0: All right, let's move on to our interview with Seattle Kraken AGM Jason Bodrum. We now welcome back onto Sound of Hockey, and uh, Jason, I'll explain that in a moment, why I said back. Uh, a very special guest. He was a national champion with the Michigan Wolverines in 1996. He's the only Canadian to ever win three consecutive gold medals in the World Junior Championship. He played 481 professional hockey games between the AHL and the NHL then went on to become Associate GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, GM of the Buffalo Sabres, and he is now Assistant GM for our Seattle Kraken. Welcome to the show, Jason Botterill, and
3: how is that for an introduction? Very impressive. I'm <laughs> very glad to have, be on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, we
0: are, we're thrilled to have you. Um, so I said welcome back to the show because I don't know if you knew this, but you've actually been on our show before. Uh, when we were at the 2019 draft in Vancouver, we were interviewing John Robleski, who yep. had a big showing with his NTDP team at the time, and you kind of came by and interrupted the interview. Um, so welcome back. We 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 always call people who are you know have been on the show friends of the pod. So you're already a friend of the pod, and we're we're happy to have you back. It's great to have that fam- familiarity for sure. Yes, you know? I, I mean I'm sure it was a big moment for you. You you definitely uh, seem to remember the interaction. Um, so. <laughs> anyway let's talk a little about your playing days uh so we'd love to kind of get your your story through your own words and uh you know how you got to the nhl um how it started how it ended all that
3: good stuff well i I was born in edmonton but pretty much spent my entire childhood uh parents still live in winnipeg um that's really my hometown for sure and uh Um, My my, uh, parents were both uh, in education. My dad was a university professor. My mom was an elementary school teacher, so they always sort of pushed me towards college hockey. And uh, it was a situation where I got to go to the University of Michigan uh, while I was there, we had some amazing teams. Uh, you know, goaltenders were Steve Shields and Marty Turco. Brendan Morrison was one of my classmates. Mike Leg, who did the, uh, the crazy goal, was one of ours. <laughs> um, you know, we just had we had an abundance of talent there. John Madden was a, a technically a second-line center, mm-hmm. and then he goes on to win Stanley Cups and a Selkie. So um, I had a great time at University of Michigan for four years. During that time, I had, as you mentioned before, I had the opportunity to represent my country uh, at three World Junior Championships, each one of them was pretty special. I uh, won the first one in Ostrova Czech Republic, second one during a lockout in 1995 uh, in Red Deer, and then uh, the last one in 1996 in Boston there. So always a dream to come true to, to uh, you know wear the maple leaf and then to actually win gold medals too was pretty cool, yeah. certainly. And uh, um, after um, I graduated from University of Michigan, uh, I was a first-round draft choice of the Dallas Stars. They had some amazing teams at that time. Bounced around most of my NHL career. I was in Dallas, went to Atlanta, Calgary, and then finished up in Buffalo. And uh, bottom line, just wasn't a good enough skater. The speed of the game, uh, it just was a little too fast, which is a little surprising, seeing as my uh, mom was an uh, Olympic speed skater in the 64 and 68 Olympics. You'd think I'd be able to skate a little bit better. But anyway. (laughs) Um, No, but I still, unfortunately, I had to retire um, due to concussions, but had an opportunity to go back to University of Michigan, got my MBA there. Never thought I'd ever actually get involved with hockey afterwards. I was looking to be, you know, whether it's uh, commercial banking or corporate finance, that's what I thought my path would be. But uh, the game drew me back in, had the opportunity to join the Pittsburgh Penguins for a decade. And uh, uh, I've certainly enjoyed an executive career in hockey, a sport that I absolutely still still love. Uh,
0: well, it's a fascinating story. And uh, you've done some unbelievable things <laughs> in your career. Uh, I am very curious about that bit, about the three gold medals in the World Junior Championship. Like, do you use that to, like, flex on your buddies every now and then? Just, like, how many how many golds in the WJC do you have? Because I'm the <laughs> only Canadian with three. That's a, Like, that's a big thing.
3: No, look, it. it like I said to you before, I I'm proud Canadian. I'm proud about that. And like each, each, tournament was a different story, you know? And it was great to have such turnover from those teams, um, but then still be successful. And uh, you think it's pretty good, but then I get to my dining room table uh, at home and my (laughs) sister has three Olympic gold medals. So it's like, you know, she trumps it from that standpoint. (laughs) So it's a little tough from that perspective.
0: Uh, So I do have just a little bit of a bone to pick with you. I'll tell you a story here. Um, So 1996, I was nine years old. At the time, I was growing up in Minnesota, so I was a humongous Gopher fan because we didn't have Mm -hmm. NHL hockey. And so my family and I were on a Disney World vacation, and I very vividly remember us all, you know, we weren't going to the Disney parks this day. So we stayed back at the hotel where we were staying, and we all gathered around and watched the Minnesota Gophers play against the Michigan Wolverines in the, I think it was the West Regional Final, if I remember correctly. So Mike Lagg does this thing where he picks the puck up on his stick Throws it over Steve Dubas's shoulder. The Gophers lose. Nine-year-old Darren cries because the Gophers lost. Uh, so, what do you
3: have to say to nine-year-old Darren? Well, <laughs> nine-year-old Darren, uh, like it's 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 tough. It was an amazing moment, um, but that's why you should cheer for the University of Michigan Wolverines,
1: not the, <laughs> not the Gophers. Not the Gophers. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but Good stuff. Uh, it, sitting on the bench there for the goal, like we'd all seen Mike do it during practice. So okay. It was one of those things that it, it drove the coaches nuts, like that he'd always try these different things after practice and stuff. And uh, he had one where he came actually down on like a two-on-one in the slot on a two-on-one that he picked it up and threw it in like a cross goal too that I was always expecting <laughs> him to throw in a game too. But mm. it was unreal. But you're sitting on the bench and you're like, did that really, really happen? And yeah. I think the, the thing that's so cool about that goal too is just like hey at the time Minnesota was ahead of us like it was a huge goal to sort of get us going and get the the adrenaline going because at the time Minnesota had a great team and stuff and it was overall it was just a great game to get to the that eventually get us over the hump and get to the frozen four yeah well and you I mean you mentioned some of your teammates there but Marty
0: Turco is your goalie and John Madden and Brendan Morrison and I know he Brendan Morrison, I think, was on the all-tournament team. Those are those are big-time players, obviously. I'm I'm curious, what are some of the other things
3: that you remember from that run to the national championship? Well, it it was, you know, you talk about Brendan Morrison, like he was just such a talented player Mm -hmm. at that level. Uh, Three-time Hobie Baker finalist, ended up winning it his senior year. Um, And then, like you said, we had we had Mike Leggett was literally our third-line center. Then you had John Madden as a second-line center. Like the depth that we had was was insane, and just. Hey, Michigan had a lot of really impressive teams in the early 90s and just sort of couldn't get over the hump. You know, my first year, my freshman year, we were ranked Number one, pretty much most of the year, but lost to Lake Superior State, I think, in, in overtime in the West, in the regional. Then my sophomore year, uh, we get to the Frozen Four and lose in triple overtime to Maine. So to, to sort of finally get over that hump in 1996 was something special. And then to actually win it in Cincinnati, too. Um, like the, the the championship game, they're literally Colorado College in the final. and you know, the place was packed and there must, out of the 16,000 uh, fans, 15,000 must've been wearing maize and blue. So yeah. just a great atmosphere and stuff for sure. And it was great to see, you know, Brendan had some amazing comments afterwards, but just to see the excitement of uh, coach Berenson, you know, having developing the program there and then finally
1: getting over the top. Sure. we like to talk on this show a lot about the path people take to the NHL and the choices they make. And you mentioned your parents being educators and yep. pushing you towards college was playing major junior in Canada ever on the radar for you, or, or was that always going to be college? No, it certainly was. I was
3: drafted by the Brandon Weekings, and okay. the general manager at the time was Kelly McCrimmon. And then through my World Junior experience, you know, like Brandon had, uh, you know, Kelly had developed a great program there in Brandon. Marty Murray was a player on my World Junior teams. He was my roommate, who actually kept on trying to get me to, to Brandon. Then uh, Wade Redden was my roommate one year and stuff too. So there was always that drive to sort of push to get to Brandon. And look, at the end of the day, what I, it's, it's the same belief I have here right now is like whatever your path is, major, junior, college, you know, if you have the drive, you know, you'll eventually get there. And I, I don't think there's one way that's better than the other. Um, it's just, hey, it's a di- different path that you're passionate about. And that's what I talk about all the time. It's the same thing I talk to the kids, whether they want to leave college or not. You can never force anyone
1: to do something. It's what they're most passionate about and what they want to do for their career. And, and you're joining an expansion team now, but this is not your first experience with an expansion team because you played a little bit with the Atlanta Thrashers. Uh what what was that that experience like?
3: Well, uh, it was you know what they did a great job with there. It. it was it was amazing that first year, and uh, you know some of the spots we played that first exhibition season down there in the in the South, like it was unbelievable. I remember one game we had against I think it was Nashville in Little Rock, Arkansas. I think the game was called halfway through the third period because you could literally see cement uh, oh. uh, on the, of the ice. <laughs> I remember one of our first preseason games. We like we flew to St. Louis to play in St. Louis. And uh, I think the pregame meal, you know, everyone has their chicken pasta. And like, like our pregame meal that day was like soup and sandwiches. Like it was just like the, some of the details <laughs> they had to get the, the, the kinks worked out and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, like, you know, no, it was a hey, the facilities there. They did an amazing job with Phillips Arena there at the time. And uh, no, it was certainly something that uh, the unique aspect of all these different players sort of coming together. And it's what the challenge we have right now, just even on our staff, is that you have all these... Uh, great hockey people coming in with great ideas but it's it's tough to get chemistry right now just because you don't have that personal interaction you have to do it obviously through zoom calls or phone calls so you have to work at it that much more dif- harder here but i've been even my first couple weeks here blown away by the diverse thoughts and just the passion that people have to make sure that the uh, uh this thing is done right
1: and when players do come here obviously expansions changed. the whole process has changed how how different do you think it's going to be for the guys that you guys end up bringing in here than it was for you and that Thrashers team?
3: Well, I think there's just there's more there's more expectations, but there's actually more hope of success right off the bat. Uh, I think everyone's in the hockey world has seen what Seattle has done from the business side and just the resources that. Uh, are get, being given to this organization to have success. And then you see um, obviously the success of Vegas and hey, there's certainly gonna be expectations for this team to, to do well. And um, I think that gets players excited about the situation there. And then with Ron obviously leading the charge, he has so much respect throughout the entire league, just how he handles himself, how he interacts with people. It's why I wanted to come to the organization Uh, I had a great experience working with Ron and Ron Hextall at the world championships about almost two years ago here. And you just go through something like that and you realize, Hey, if I ever have an opportunity to work with him again, I want to jump at it. And so I think players are going to be certainly excited about Seattle and, and the unique element too is it's, they know it's a hockey market, you know, especially the kids coming out of the WHL, understand the passion that it is for hockey in the area. And I think there's just Seattle has a reputation too, whether it's, Baseball, football, soccer, it's a sports town. And I think that's where people, players want to go to environments where there's going to be that level of passion and excitement.
1: Would uh, would Ron Hexall have been a potential brain and weakening teammate of yours if you had gone that way? Was he he was a little
3: bit before me, actually, <laughs> and stuff. So, uh, no,
1: I, just the stories
3: of uh, Mr. Hextall back in the now. So, <laughs> uh, the announcement
2: of your hiring, uh, we got a lot of questions about Ricky Olchek, what happened to Ricky Olchek, and we had to explain to people that, you know, hey, there's a lot of teams that have two AGMs, and I, you probably don't have the specifics, and I'm not really looking for specifics, but... Can you give us an overview about the different responsibilities of AGMs have um, in an organization to kind of give our listeners a, a good understanding of that?
3: Well, and I think you realize it through a lot of teams like, hey, some of the veteran GMs in the league right now, like a David Poyle, like he, when he first started, there wasn't, they, he didn't even have one assistant general manager. And now teams have you know, two, three different ones. And I think it just goes to show you the complexity of the sport here right now. And whether it's um, dealing with the salary cap, dealing with contract negotiations, dealing with the minor league teams, both at the American Hockey League level, East Coast League level, dealing with uh, a scouting staff, pro and amateur, uh, your development staff, like there's just all these different things to tie in. And especially when we're on, once you get games going, the focus is going to be on his interaction with ownership, but also interaction with his head coach and with the team. So the need is certainly going to be there for other people to help out a lot. And uh, I'm excited to work with Ricky. I've I've known him for a long time, have a lot of respect for what he's accomplished and his work ethic and his knowledge of the CBA. And I think we complement each other very well and stuff from that standpoint, for sure.
2: And so when you were in Pittsburgh as the AGM there, what kind of responsibilities did you have there that you can share?
3: Well, it changed over time there and stuff for sure. But um, my main responsibilities when I started out was uh, sort of cap related, contract related, and then uh, took on a lot of role of being the general manager of Wilkes-Barre, the American Hockey League team at that time there mm-hmm. too. Um, so I felt that I actually was a great experience for me being a young executive just interacting with the coach, making sure things were going well down there, uh, preparing me to be an NHL GM. So I certainly enjoyed that experience. So what do you think, like looking back at those roles you
0: had, which obviously you've, you have just incredible experience, right? What are some of the things that you take away, whether it be either from Pittsburgh or from Buffalo, right? Where you're like, this is the thing that I need to remember in every role
3: moving forward. Well, I think you just realize like, Hey, we're always a fabrication of our mentors. And Mm -hmm. the great thing in my time in Pittsburgh there was I had great mentors, obviously Jim Rutherford later on, but I had both on the staff Ray Shiro and Chuck Fletcher, mm-hmm. and they were just great at helping me out, sort of in the industry, how to get things going, and sort of, you know, the importance of a, a collaboration of a collaborative model. And it's what I've really enjoyed my interactions with Ron Francis. Look, you look at Ron's resume; it's it's spectacular. It's yeah. amazing. It's okay, it's okay. And, you know, <laughs> and yet, like, look, he has strong opinions, but what I like about him is is he's looking to have an environment where different opinions are presented. And he's a great listener from that standpoint. And, I you know, what I learned very early on with Ray Shiro and Chuck Fletcher was like, look, (laughs) I was involved with every meeting. My voice was heard. They obviously, Ray had to make the final decision, but just being in that environment where my voice was heard and how good that made me feel, that's what I sort of take moving forward as trying to be as a manager here is making sure that we have different voices. And you look at some of our scouts that we have already on staff, former players that have, have had success, coaches, managers, like they all come from different backgrounds that we can all learn from. And what I've tried to do over the years, whether it's my time in Buffalo, time in Pittsburgh, you know, you, you know, you, whether we we're in Buffalo going, you know, trying to draft first overall to a situation in Pittsburgh where you're trying to get over the hump to win a Stanley Cup. I think those are all unique experiences that uh, I hopefully can bring into the situation here in Seattle, which is, and the first, or the first thing that we have, the expansion draft, like, hey, this might be the last expansion draft of my management career. So when I had an opportunity to jump at it here and to be a part of it, Hey, certainly very excited about it. Yeah, there aren't many
0: of those in any executive's (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. life to to be able to be a part of that. So pretty cool stuff. So
2: uh, I'd love to talk about the amateur draft a bit, Um, maybe not specifically the one coming up, but one thing that's always been on my my mind is how do you evaluate your amateur scouts, right? Because there's so much context and variables in selecting an 18-year-old kid and whether they make it to the NHL and just broadly... How do you evaluate your
3: amateur scouts? Well, I think at the initial start standpoint, it's just, it's professional habits. It's, it's hey, are, are they prepared for meetings? Are their lists up to date? Are, when you ask questions, do you get the information that you want back from them type of thing? So there's that initial step. And then what's so difficult from people from the outside, or even myself, like trying to evaluate scouts from another organization, is you have no clue what goes on in those meetings. So, hey, mm-hmm. maybe that an individual scout had, his list perfectly, but they went with someone in a different area. So it's so difficult to make that evaluation from a standpoint, but you bring up a point, you're eventually drafting 18 year old kids. And that's why such a big trait that you have to look for is that sort of that drive to Excel. These, that these kids understand that at 18, there's still so much more, Uh, development for them. And as we talked about earlier about major junior versus college, it doesn't matter what path you go down. It's imperative that that player where you're drafting is still open to ideas and understands that there's still a lot of work to be gone.
1: And in your opinion, when you're, when you're preparing for the amateur draft, whether your time in Buffalo or in Pittsburgh, ideally how many viewings would you have liked your scouts to have seen of, of prospects on their list uh, before you go, you're comfortable selecting them? Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> I don't know if there's ever like uh, one final number. What you want to do, they'll make sure
3: it's it's over a period of time. And I think that's where uh, a key element on a lot of staffs now is the underage scouting. is just making sure you have a book on a kid, not even in their draft year, but the, the previous years. And that's what I've liked that, that has sort of been added to the scouting staff here in, in uh, Seattle is you have You have scouts who, hey, their job previously was to scout the USHL or, or, you know, bring players in for the USHL or, hey, help the USA development program. And so these guys have books on these kids at age 14, 15, and you see how they develop because especially in this draft year, in the world of social media, guys handle the pressures differently. And, uh, you know, some kids may have a struggle a lot this year. And obviously this year during a pandemic, it's completely different. But um, I don't know if there's just a set number, but you always want to have it over an extended period of time. And the the great thing about our sport here right now is as complicated as it is that you're trying to evaluate a kid from northern Minnesota who's playing against 14-year-olds in Minnesota high school hockey versus – you know, someone who's in the Swedish elite league playing against 35 year old men, you know, the advancement of video has just certainly allowed it to, or teams to get a lot more viewings on not only in
1: person, but through video too on players. And you mentioned this year, it's going to be a challenge because a lot of the major junior leagues haven't even started yet. Uh, you know, college has started a little bit. What kind of challenge do you think that's going to be? Do you think there can be a lot more guessing this year than maybe years past? <laughs>
3: Well, that's certainly gonna be a challenge because you look at it. Like even the, like so obviously you look at the Big Ten hockey. They've at least been able to get a little mm. bit of the schedule through. So there's two ways to look at that. On one hand, you may pump guys up too high because <laughs> they're the only ones playing. On the mm. other hand, you may start critiquing them about all their mistakes and you might glorify someone else who hasn't. Played. <laughs> and that's where I think you know, so many staffs right now are going back on trying to look at video and trying to at least have discussions based off of things. That happened a year ago, but when you're evaluating 18-year-old kids, just just think of the physical maturity that these guys Mm -hmm. are going through in a a couple months, and let alone a year. So that's why it certainly will be advantageous for everyone if we can at least get some games in moving forward here. And you know, we are even seeing on the pro side; like we were very excited that the American Hockey League is at least going to try to make a push for it and play, because just seeing how some of these kids, even at age you know, 22, 23, they're still developing, you know, at least getting those, those live viewings will certainly be beneficial for us.
0: Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about kind of your family upbringing, your, your sister, Jennifer, as you mentioned, has three Olympic gold medals. Your mother was Olympic speed skater. I think I read that your father was uh, played for the national Canadian hockey team. Am I correct on that? Uh, I played
3: a little bit. And then he was uh he was a sports psychologist mm. uh, that had a great opportunity played in, or worked with uh, Mike Keenan in a lot of different spots and worked mm-hmm. with a lot of, a lot of Canadian Olympics athletes over the
0: years so i guess my my question is you know i'm always struck because we we see it especially it feels like it's very common now to have like an nhl father for example who then raises a kid who's an nhl player right there's you know Mm -hmm. the whole kachuk extended family is now in the nhl i don't think that's a coincidence right like so i always just wonder like what is it when you have parents who are elite athletes like what are they teaching their kids that other parents aren't teaching their kids you know what i mean that because i've coached hockey too and you see how some parents will build up their kids and be like, oh, this kid's going to be the next star. And then, of course, that kid doesn't go anywhere because they've just been taught that they're a star. You know what I mean? So I'm just curious, like, what is it that you were bred with as a kid that made you uh, a pro hockey player and made your sister so successful? That was an incredibly long question. (laughs)
3: Look, I don't even know if there's any sort of secret messaging and stuff. I think the one thing is just my parents that always taught me was just how hard the road was going to be. That sometimes you, especially growing up in Winnipeg where – hockey is so so important to the fabric of life you know um <laughs> you, know, you sort of think if you're a good player in Winnipeg oh you're going to make it for sure and what uh, they were always to is just the how many people play the game and how many times you're going to face adversity there. And, but it was also really cool, especially with my father working with some national hockey league teams. I got, had experiences of going to the old Chicago stadium and seeing the national anthem there, playoff mm. games in New York and, and Detroit, like things that most kids never got the opportunity. And it really just, I saw that environment and I was blown away by it. It's one of the reasons why I really wanted to play college hockey. When uh, my dad was working with the national hockey team, or a Canadian national hockey team at the time they went down and played a game at North Dakota. And I just I could not <laughs> believe the energy, the excitement, the band. Like I'd never seen anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you asked me earlier about my time at Michigan. Like that's one of the things that I still love is that playing at Yost Arena on a Friday and Saturday night and just maybe you didn't play as many games, but the intensity of each game there and stuff. And yeah. uh, so I think it was just a situation where understanding my, my parents always said, Hey, even when I had success on the ice, like you still, there's there's still a next, a next step for you. Just mm-hmm. like we're talking about kids when you're drafted and maybe you get, go in the first round or second round there's still so much to go on your journey to get to the national hockey league. And the only other thing too, that I, I, that I'm so glad my parents sort of pushed with us was the versatility. Like you especially look at my sister, like before she came, became a good hockey player. She was a great athlete, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was soccer, uh, softball, volleyball, track and field, she did everything. And, you know, I understand specialization uh, and nowadays, but I, I still think becoming a great athlete first I think all that stuff just helped her out with her coordination and that really allowed her to become a great hockey player down the road. Hmm.
2: I I believe I read a a story that said she did not play, Jennifer did not play hockey until she was 13. Is that like organized hockey or was that hockey in general?
3: Well, you know, so in our basement, uh, we had room to play hockey down there. So she certainly played down there and took slap shots at me when I was like three years older and (laughs) no fear. She never thought I could ever get hurt by that and stuff. But, you know, at the time when she was growing up, you know, hockey just it wasn't in the olympics yet women's hockey wasn't in the olympics or anything like that so the game that she grew up on actually was ringette Act. so ringette mm, right. uh, yeah. you know the blade on there and you instead of a puck you get a ring so that's what she grew up with and so that's why she was such a good skater and then but then once the olympic women's hockey got into olympics she made the switch over to to women's hockey there and but i think that's what you've seen now with the development of the women's game especially is that with kids playing at such a young age young woman hockey player now, like their stick skills, their shot, it's just such such a higher level. I think in general, the game you look at the last 10 years, 20 years, men and women, like the specialization in stick skills and shooting and breaking things down. It's amazing how good these players have gotten now. And I think that's where the women's game has really taken off is that specialization element.
2: Not sure you're comfortable answering this, but any forecast on when Jennifer might be in the hockey
3: hall of fame? (laughs) Well, I'm certainly biased. I believe she deserves to be in there and stuff. But yeah. like, look, I, it, like, you look at all of the other names and stuff that have been uh, brought up, or it's they're all extremely well deserving, and I'm just glad that they're getting the recognition now and they're getting added to each year. It looks like.
2: Well, and she's certainly in the conversation, so that's mm-hmm. positive, and that's kind of the first step, I guess. So. Yep. You mentioned you worked with Ron Francis at Team Canada for the 2019 World Championships. What did you appreciate that experience with him and and was that part of the reason you wanted to come work in Seattle with him?
3: Oh, 100%. You know, and it's a it was a scenario where Uh, I'd talked to Ron before I, you know, obviously GM to GM, you communicate with him and then we'd always had the tie because we both worked under Jim Rutherford before, as you guys know from Ron, like he's always such a gentleman. He's always so professional about it, but it wasn't until that experience where we really got to know each other and started talking about players and realized that there is a lot of similarities on how we like to build a team and how we like to uh, some of the traits that we like to look at. And what I liked about so much about that, the sort of the dynamic between Ron Hextel, Ron Francis and myself is we certainly didn't agree on all the players, but like we always found a way to at least come to a resolution on that. And I think that fact that of just that open communication, that willingness to look at different ways, the opinions, different perspectives was something good. And so you go through that experience, you're proud to represent your country You're proud of that. You probably assume, hey, I'll never work with these guys again and stuff, but you just keep in the back of your mind, hey, if Mm -hmm. anything ever materializes, you certainly do. So when this situation did arise, I didn't have to think about it very much at all. Mm -hmm. Cool. So our last
0: uh, question for you here, just in your words, what are your expectations and goals
3: for the Seattle Kraken in the first couple of seasons? (laughs) Well, it's simple. We're building a culture. We're Mm -hmm. building a culture of entire organization. And you want to build a team that the city is going to be proud of, uh, they're going to be proud of the effort. They're, they're going to pr- understand that it's going to be, we're going to be competitive every night and look at the national hockey league each night you're looking at it. And, you know, I, I love how everyone has predictions at the start of each year. And what are, what are we like a weekend, uh, you know, 10 days <laughs> yeah. in and, and, and so many of these predictions are already thrown out the window type of thing, <laughs> but that's the beauty of the league. And like, You know, coming from my experience, even in Pittsburgh, you know, everyone talks about, I was fortunate enough to win three Stanley Cups there, but like a lot of the teams that were even better than the teams that we won got knocked out in the first round or second round. It's that competitive. And so it will be a challenge for us to certainly feel the competitive team, a team that's going to have success right away, but that's the goal that we're going to try to get to. And I think the combination of, having players through the expansion draft, having a destination that free agents will want to come to um, because of the, like we t- talked about before, because of the environment and because of the resources, because of Ron um, I'm I'm looking forward to the challenge that we're going to have. And then I really do hope that we pr- put a team out there that people get real, real excited about and want to come and cheer loudly for. Awesome. Well, I'm ready to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I am
0: too.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <It's been great. laughs>
0: All right. Jason Botterill, uh, recurring friend of the pod. Thank you for coming back for a second time, sharing a few more words this time. Um, but uh, this has been great. We really, really appreciate
3: your time. We appreciate you doing this. Well, for a second time along, it was great. I enjoyed this conversation <laughs> a little bit more than even the first one and stuff. And, uh, and uh, Darren, you know, your gophers are looking pretty impressive this year. So you do have a good team there within Minnesota. I know. There's
2: a twist though. There is a, a twist, a twist. Yeah. I actually. It's something he hasn't told you
3: yet. Yeah,
0: I didn't tell you this part but I went to school at Wisconsin so my my gopher fandom has waned
3: over the years Wow, so. you just threw the Glovers out and went straight for the Badgers. I Impressive. did. I did. Well, I certainly like your coach there Antonio Tony Granato. I, I worked with him in Pittsburgh and really enjoyed working with him. And uh, But I, I'm now working with the better Granado and Cami Granado. <laughs> there, there you go. Right. That's right. Yeah. Great, great twist to finish it off. Thank you again, Jason. Really appreciate it.
0: All right. Thank you again to Jason Botterill for joining us. That was very fun to have you back on the podcast for a second. <laughs> extensive interview just like your first extensive interview uh, that was great <laughs> yeah it, it was, was awesome guy. I liked that it was awesome
2: him. lots of cool stories I love sharing a little bit more about him than the kind of a traditional interview that we, we would normally hear from him
0: yes very good stuff great hire by the Kraken excited to have him around we now move on to our segments and everyone's favorite segments favorite yeah favorite segment goalie gear quarter one timer <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be, let's get quizzical.
0: Uh, well, see, now that might have thrown off our, our rhythm here. I don't know if the horn section knew when to play. Because
1: yeah. was
0: <laughs> You interrupted. Things might get really guy messed up. Is very confused. Yeah. yeah. Wade, Wade doesn't know what to do. He's got all these buttons to push. Yeah. He's back there just pulling levers and like a yeah. jack of the box just leapt out at him. He's like, yeah. I, I don't know. So our goalie gear corner... First one is a mask that belongs to Andy's former favorite goalie, Jacob Markstrom. Uh, Now, I'm pretty sure we've pointed out that Markstrom has a really great new setup that he's going to wear with Blasty the Horse when they wear their reverse retro jerseys. And he now has released his new mask. And guess what's on his new mask? Connects colors. Blasty the horse. Oh. So even like the striping on it matches what he has on his pads. And I got to tell you, when he puts this mask on with the pads that I know he's going to be wearing, this might be the best setup of the year. I don't know it like head to toe. That's a strong statement. Head to toe with the uniform. It's going to be an incredible, incredible look. That's all that
1: I'm saying. I mean, we're like 10 games into the season. That's that's saying something.
0: All right. All right. Giving him a run for his money, of course, is John's favorite former backup goalie of the San Jose sharks, (laughs) Aaron Dell, who we never even mentioned Mm. Aaron Dell's, uh, maple leafs pads this year, which were like an all blue thing with a leaf that was all like stitched together. But now he's been claimed off waivers by the New Jersey Devils, and he's got a brand new setup. Andy, you'll love this one because it's a Brian's setup. Yeah, but, I see that. Man, this is sharp. So it's all black, and this it's got pretty amazing. a red like devil on each side. The devil kind of looks a little bit dragonish, so that's a little yes. bit questionable. But Devil dragon? Yeah, maybe yeah, devil dragon sure. But then it's got this like demonic devil tail on both the blocker and the glove. That also raises some questions because I'm of the understanding that the devil only has one tail. But nonetheless, I get what he's going for and man, this is really cool. So, shout out to Aaron Dell. For this fantastic setup. This is
3: I, I think there, there are two level. devils.
1: That's why there's two tails.
3: Oh. There's a devil, there's a devil He does on play each pad. for the
0: devils.
1: Right. So right? there's a devil, an individual devil on each pad. They yeah. each have their own tail. So he
0: doesn't play for the New Jersey devil. He plays for the New Jersey devils. Yes. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That reminds me of uh, there's a Simpsons episode where young Homer tries to join the No Homers club. And he's like, well, you let that other homer join. And they're like, yeah, it's no homers. So we can have one, we can't have two. Uh, and then our third goalie gear corner. Yes, we have three this week. Three goalie gear three corners. Of them? We're just trying to give the people Jeez. what they want. Oh,
1: it's kind of exhausting.
0: Robin yeah. Leonard has uh, revealed a new Brian's setup as well. and Bryan's. Yep. So, he, he's been doing some great stuff. I have to say, apparently, he works with, like, a graphic designer to put these things together. Um, so, before, he had, like, a really massive golden knight mm-hmm. on each leg pad. Now, he's shrunken down each knight. And it's, a like, a black knight with a gold background. And it's almost like a shadow, like, off in the distance. So, these are pretty well, technically cool. Technically, there's two knights. Two yeah, knights. One each pad. Well, again, it's not the Vegas golden knight, right? Right. It's right.
1: two knights in three days. You only have to, you have to pay for the third day. What? Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> really good setup.
0: Leonard's been doing some good stuff. I don't think it holds so a candle to Aaron Dell's new setup, but uh, but, but they Brian's. they're Brian's. They are sharp. Uh, I like them a lot. That is our goalie gear corner. We now move on to our weekly one timers. The Washington Capitals have been fined, and they will be without a bunch of Russian players. Who will they be without, and why have they been fined?
2: So uh, this is a little bit of old news. Mm-hmm. It happened uh, mid-last week. Apparently, Samsonov, Orlov, Kuznetsov, and Ovechkin all were kind of gathered, hanging out in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. And Samsonov would end up testing positive for the virus, so he had to essentially protocols. He had to basically say, who who is he with? And mm-hmm. then they announced it. So... Those guys are out for a while, hefty fine, and I think the league's really trying to send a message here that this can't happen, and they're making them play without these guys, too, so uh, and then they end up winning their first game without them, but anyway, <laughs> it's something to keep an eye on. I think one signal here is, and they were talking about it on 31 Thoughts uh, podcast, sending a, a message not only to the other teams, but also to the uh, municipalities that are allowing them to play mm. hockey based on these protocols, sure. and so so if they show up being lax, like right, especially when hopefully this, the restrictions are eased a bit, they can still kind of continue to push those boundaries within reason. So something to keep an eye on. Hopefully it's the last time we hear of uh, such a big fine because that means teams are complying.
0: Nastya Shubskaya, who is Alex Ovechkin's wife, she put a post on Instagram It's in both Russian and English. Now, English is not her first language, but she does pretty well. So I'm going to read it word for word. And if I sound like I'm trying to make fun of Russian people, I'm not. It's just that these are her exact words, so I'm just reading it. It says, "Of course, only Russian players of Washington Capitals were together in the same hotel room. Of course, all of the other NHL players, when playing away, separating themselves from their teammates. Of course, you can't catch the virus when you and your teammates sit together on the bench, hug each other when they score a." goal or when they are all together in the lounge or locker room players can't get infected when they are at the restaurants supermarkets malls etc virus only works in a hotel room the one who came <laughs> up with this rule obviously is very logical by the way both alex ovechkin and dmitry orlov have antibodies unfortunately not everyone is competent in their antibodies value and progress wow. yeah those are some strong words from Ms. Shubskaya there, if you ask me.
1: What's interesting is earlier Ovechkin came out and apologized and said he, learned, he, he was going to learn from it.
0: Yes, although it was not exactly the strongest statement I've ever heard. It was like, yes, no. I apologize, I will do better at not being in a hotel room with my friends yeah, or something. exactly. <laughs> something <like that. laughs> I mean, she's kind of got a point, though, right? It's like, now, yeah. I, I do think that if they're in like one of the team-designated areas, they can keep an eye on each other and say, hey, this guy's not wearing a mask or whatever. So I kind of get that. And, you know, you go on the road for two weeks at a time. The last thing that you probably want to do is go back to your hotel room and just be by yourself for like two days straight when they're in between games. So, you know, I get both sides of it. I understand kind of why they got in trouble, but I also understand her point that they're together all the time without masks on. And if they get together in a hotel room, then that is completely unacceptable. But like on the bench, in the locker room, all that stuff, totally fine. You can't catch it there. She's got a point.
2: Well, no, no, she doesn't. Those are the rules. Well, fine. And we're lucky to
0: have hockey on right now. That's true. Agree, disagree. She, I think she has a point, but also you do have to follow the rules and you're right about that. Michigan, speaking of COVID has shut down for two weeks. Uh, Obviously they had some positive tests. So hopefully that just is an isolated thing and they do their two weeks and can get back to playing because that's a, that's a fun team. And let's not talk about this anymore. All right. Next weekly (laughs) one-timer. John Cheka has been suspended from the NHL, and I think that this is probably a little bit moot because he isn't currently working for any teams. But (laughs) A, why was he suspended, and B, what does this mean for him?
2: Well, the league's being pretty quiet about the specifics, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm going to read you a quote from from the league press release. Okay. Chayka engaged in conduct detrimental to the league, breached his obligation to the club, and was properly terminated by the club. Okay. Um, Mm. So this relates to, I don't know how much we talked about it on the pod, but there was talk about him pursuing another opportunity with the New Jersey, not the New Jersey Devils organization, but the parent company who also includes the Philadelphia uh, 76ers. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, you know, this is when the Arizona Coyotes owner was like, he quit on the team and then fired him. Mm. The NHL basically just by releasing this statement, they're basically saying it was justified firing. Therefore, the Coyotes are not on the hook to pay the remaining money on his contract. Mm. So interesting, you know, it's just to the end of the year. But I don't know what kind of future he has in hockey anyway. I mean, he was kind of perceived as a rising star. But I mean, Arizona hasn't done much and they don't have much to show for it now. So. Uh, I don't know how many people are really interested in, and I'm not sure if he's even interested in playing hockey. So it might be a moot point.
0: It is interesting, and remember, he also was the one that was involved in working out prospects that were not supposed yep. to be working out. So that's right. Uh, he was resulted in a bunch of draft picks being <laughs> taken away from him. In, in general, he just ended up being kind of a shady general manager, if we're being honest. But <laughs> um, anyway, it's
2: weird. A 28-year-old with that much experience, you'd think he'd yeah. be great.
0: Yeah, and he would, you know, really. Not that we're ageist. Of course But definitely yeah. Lacked experience As an NHL executive By the time he became An NHL general manager So you might have Something there Our final weekly One timer Connor Ingram, who we have definitely spoken about on this show before, he's kind of a prospect goalie for now the Nashville Predators. Previously, he was with the Lightning organization. Uh, What happened to him, John?
2: Well, he voluntarily entered the NHL, NHLPA player substance abuse program. You know, this is the same program that Bobby Ryan entered last year. You know he's 23 years old. He's pretty young. He's kind of a, a goalie that I've circled a couple times about a, being a potential expansion candidate because he's so young and and he is kind of up and coming. He he lit up the AHL last year. Mm-hmm. So you know we're we're rooting for him. I'm glad he's getting help. Um, I I'm such a big fan of this program in general. Right. Yes, um, I agree. It's a good partnership between the NHLPA and NHL, without like finding people for. for for challenges that they have in their lives. I've always thought this is a really good program. So this, hopefully this is another turnaround story and I'm hoping uh, it goes well for them. Yes.
0: And one thing that I love about it too, is that it doesn't seem like there's a ton of stigma, right? Like, Bobby Ryan, yeah. you know, he did what he had to do. He came back, and and one of the things that he has done is he's been really open about what was happening, right, and like how difficult things had gotten for him, and why he entered it, and how helpful it's been, and um, you know, so I think that's really great. I think that what the NHL is doing here shows that they, well, <laughs> to some degree, they care about their players, you know. Um, but it's, yeah. it is a it is a really good program, and and uh, you're absolutely right about that, John. Uh, that wraps up our weekly one timers. We close the show with our tweets of the week. Andy, your tweet of the week.
1: My tweet of the week uh, comes from Jason Braugh, who's a TSN guy in Vancouver. Okay. And he's responding to a tweet from Ian McIntyre, another Vancouver guy, who was quoting GM Jim Benning. And Benning's quote is, I'm not a patient person. We expect to win because we hate losing. I can't watch losing hockey. I can't. Mm. Canucks aren't playing very well. Uh So Jason Braugh tweets, this was a while ago. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, that was 2014.
1: Watching losing hockey all that time. Mm, I get it. That's good. All right,
0: uh, John, your tweet of the week. We
2: talked about Carter Hart showing his frustration after the Flyers we did. game um, and destroying his hockey stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a subtweet by friend of the pod, Greg Washinsky. and it's a GIF of uh, Jack Nicholson doing the head nod, mm-hmm. like, yeah,
0: yeah. I love that one, yep.
2: And it just says, Ron Hextall. Nice. Basically loving it.
0: So
1: <laughs> Ron Hextall, for the people that don't know, he teams. might have
2: thrown a few temper tantrums wearing a uh, the Philadelphia Flyers jersey before. So anyway, he's he's probably looking and and really appreciating Carter Hart's. I work I got to stick. see
1: Ron Hextall play for the Flyers once when I was a kid up in Vancouver. I felt like I got lucky because I saw Ron Hextall doing a Ron Hextall thing. He snapped his stick over the back of one of the Vancouver players in front of him on the Ooh. ice, and yeah, I feel like you know if you, great, see, like, if you go to see like to see like a. You know, a famous musician, you want to hear their hits, right? You want to hear the famous songs. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I got that out of Ron Hexall, seeing him break a stick over somebody. Well, and did he at least score <laughs> a goalie goal also? No, he didn't do that. <laughs> but he, we, did see, we did see some of the anger. That's
0: like going to a Beatles concert and they don't play Hey Jude.
1: I have never seen a goalie score a goal uh-huh. in person. All right. Well, I've never seen a Beatles concert.
0: <laughs> My tweet of the week, I actually have two. Is that okay? I know I made a big stink what? about the honorable mention. Oh.
1: Again, we're just making stuff up as we go. I know. Yeah. So the NWHL bubble
0: uh, opened this week. And that's been pretty fun. I did watch uh, one of the games. I wish I could have watched more, but I had a bit of a busy weekend. But um, I've, I've been pretty impressed with the Twitch streaming. I think it looks pretty good. I know, John, before we started recording, you were kind of commenting that they only seem to have one camera, which is not great. But the one camera they do have is, is really good. Uh, my tweet of the week comes from the Metropolitan Riveters. They say, hey, at NWHL, why didn't we talk about the wave that went on in the crowd during the Minnesota-Toronto game? Now, during the Minnesota Toronto game, you know, they have all these like cardboard cutouts in the stands of people that paid to quote unquote be there for the NWHL bubble. And so they have a player, I think it's a Riveters player, who is down in the front row and she's just walking along the row picking up one of those cardboard cutouts at a time and then moving to the next one and picking it up and then moving to the next one. So, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so she's doing the wave that. with the with the cardboard cutouts. So <laughs> that's pretty funny. What did you guys think of the little blue neutral zone that they have at the NWHL bubble?
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it's something I want to be a permanent thing in hockey, but yeah. I thought it was interesting.
0: I'm fine it, with it. I I think that, you know, they're just kind of trying to do something a little bit different. I think yeah. if you're going to go with blue ice, why not make the whole thing blue?
1: But
2: It's pretty Dark blue, though, too, right? I've seen like blue ice before, and it's usually lighter than that. So I'm open to it. I'm not sure it's got some staying power though. Okay.
0: It's like the Boise State football field of yep. hockey rinks. <laughs> and then my other tweet of the week, I did mention that I have two tweets of the week, right? You did. Okay. Yes. You did. So this is also an NWHL tweet. So the Minnesota Whitecaps tweeted a picture of themselves on the plane heading for the bubble. And then somebody called the Andalorian uh, replied and he had photoshopped in the Bernie meme, which was everywhere, right? <laughs> this week of, you know, Bernie with his mittens yes. and his mask. Uh, so now, if you might recall, he had another Bernie meme that says, I am once again asking for your support, and then people would write in. It, the Minnesota Whitecaps retweeted this picture of Bernie on the plane with the Whitecaps and just says, we are once again asking for your support this season, which I thought was great. So <laughs> those are my tweets of the week. Uh, before we go, one really quick note, uh, and this is a very sad note, Kyrell Sapotic. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, uh, he's 19 years old, yeah. plays for the Kamloops Blazers, he uh, very sadly was paralyzed over the weekend. Uh, There's a GoFundMe that's set up for him and his family. I will put that in the show notes. So um, if you have anything that you can donate to help out that family, um, obviously he's facing a really tough battle. So um, I will put that in the show notes. Uh, Donate if you can. If you can't, that's okay too, but uh, keep him in your thoughts and prayers. That's it for us. Uh, Please do subscribe on Stitcher, subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes. Leave your five-star review on iTunes. Thank you again to the folks who left theirs this week, Phenomics All and Sergeant Pickles. Buy your gear on soundofhockey.com in the store. We have a couple of cool t-shirts that we put out when we first launched the site back in November, and they are great, so buy them. And, of course, thanks once more to Jason Botterill and to the Seattle Kraken for letting us talk to him. That is it for episode 122. We'll talk to you all next week for episode 123. Cheers.